This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. This is Cork Today. Cork Today with Patricia Messenger on C103. And a very good Wednesday morning to you as we welcome you along on a pretty, pretty bit of a dreary one from a weather forecast point of view. But tomorrow is going to be good. Humid day tomorrow. Good sunshine tomorrow afternoon. So we can look forward uh, to that. You're very welcome, though, to the programme. John Paul, Sadie, taking your calls. 1850-333-103. Anything you want to share with us, we would love to hear from you. You can also text WhatsApp 0862-103-103. And, of course, not forgetting, you can always email the programme, Patricia at c103.ie which of course a number of people uh, prefer to use the email so feel free to email the programme but I want to start the show this morning with a story that a listener contacted us about and I'm interested in sharing this to see as Caroline says in her email is what she outlines the protocol at all medical centres and it's to do with going to see your GP or the need to go to see your GP. I mean, since COVID-19, since the pandemic, since lockdown, the way we interact with our GP certainly has changed. You know, you ring the doctors. Uh, normally you would ring up and you get an appointment and then you'd pop in to see the doctor. That's all changed now. You're what's called triaged over the phone. You'll speak to usually a nurse uh, will talk to you first and then if you need to talk with a doctor. Uh, and it seems now that a lot of people are being dealt with for everything over the phone and I'm wondering how that is working out for some people because uh, we're we're calling the sister Caroline, it's not a real name because uh, she doesn't want to identify the doctor's practice and we don't want to identify the doctor's practice either because this is something that seems to be happening not just here in Cork but from what I can gather all over the country but it says, morning Patricia Uh, I'm hoping you can help me with a query my mother who is a chronic diabetic woke on Monday morning and noticed that her left leg was weeping We were very concerned as her health has been very poor for the past 20 years. Her husband rang our local medical centre and asked to speak to a doctor. This was at 9.30am. He was told a doctor will call you back. By 11.30, two hours later, we still had heard nothing. So we rang again and finally a doctor rang back. He was told... It was probably cellulitis and and a prescription would be waiting in the pharmacy. I was appalled that a doctor could diagnose an illness without actually seeing the patient. The last time this occurred, my mother 
became poorly and it happened very quickly. She contracted sepsis and ended up going into renal failure. We were told at the time it was unlikely she would survive, but she rallied and thankfully did recover. The local medical centre is aware of this and how quickly an illness can take hold. I know we are still going through a pandemic, but surely patient care is of the utmost importance. Importance. It would seem to me that the doctors don't want to see patients anymore. I'm very upset over this and I've actually lost faith in our local medical centre. And I'm wondering, is this the protocol for all medical centres uh, now? I'm thinking it is, but I could be wrong uh, on that. I would have thought with a case like that, particularly your mother's history, what was been described, that I would have thought that they that a doctor would have wanted to take a look at this weeping leg. And, and and then the other, would it have been possible to have done a video call even so that the doctor could have a look at it? I mean, to me, it would seem very hard to diagnose something like that. And cell, so anyone who's had cellulitis will know that is a nasty, nasty uh, condition that really can take hold. And a lot of people who end up with um cellulitis if it's not caught in time and you don't get the strong enough antibiotics in time can end up in hospital and you can end up to hospital for a long time trying to get rid of the cellulitis but the fact that this lady had sepsis from something similar something that started out as an injury to some part of her body that that very then very quickly went to sepsis you would have think red alert as soon as this lady presents with anything like this so I I would have thought the need to see a doctor but obviously I'm not a doctor and the doctor decides to make the diagnosis over the phone having not seen the case anyway what we're trying to find out is is this the way it is for all medical centres or have or are people managing to get in to see a doctor and I absolutely can understand why doctors practices are trying to keep the practice safe and trying to keep COVID-19 out and of course they never know when someone comes through the door of a surgery they're never going to know if that person is COVID-19 or not so I fully understand why you get asked all the questions to make sure that you 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 know you don't have COVID-19 that you don't have any symptoms of COVID-19 but surely for a case like this there are, are surely there's other issues where there's a need for the patient to be seen so what we're asking this morning is have people managed to get in to see a doctor did you have to go to great lengths to actually get a you know a face to face appointment with uh, a doctor uh, 1850 and Caroline, we wish your mother a, a really, really speedy recovery and keep in contact uh, with us and let us know how she's getting on. And I would also say keep in very close contact with her doctor and with the medical centre. And if you are not seeing any improvements when she's on that antibiotic, I will be back on the phone ASAP uh, to them. But let's see what other listeners have to say about that. And is is this the protocol now for all medical centres, for all doctors' practices that, you know, you don't get to see a doctor anymore? It's all done over the phone. But if it is to be done over the phone, I mean, telemedicine is certainly one that's going to be with us for quite some time. But can we not move that on and do a video call? So at least on a video call for something like that, the doctor actually gets to see the wound and gets to take a look at it and gets to see how bad uh, it actually is. 1850 Your thoughts welcomed on that. You can text her WhatsApp 86 to 103103 and still so much talk and so much coverage in the papers about schools reopening at the end of next month or maybe the beginning of September and many parents uh, 
and children. So I read a really good survey that's out showing how young people themselves didn't like the idea of been of schooling at home. I think it started out as a bit of a novelty, but then as the weeks rolled into months and suddenly they realised they weren't going back to school, so many young people missed the interaction of being in school and so many young people admitted that they didn't learn as much as home as they would in the classroom. So many people are looking forward to the return uh, to school, but there are still so many question marks about will all of the schools reopen at the start, at the end of August, start of September and will they reopen with everybody heading into the uh, classroom? And then we had a call in from a listener who was wondering, will a school automatically close down if they get a COVID-19, if a COVID-19 case is confirmed, be it a pupil or a member of staff? Is there a protocol in place that as soon as somebody in a school gets confirmed, or is suspected or maybe goes along for a test. What's the protocol? Will, will schools close down or will the whole class be sent home or what's going to happen? Well, it seems parents, and, and I don't know how parents are going to react to this, but parents may actually receive very limited information about a COVID-19 case at their child's school. The emphasis is going to be put on those who were in close contact with the infected person. Schools will not have to automatically disclose if there was a confirmed case and they'll be advised by the HSE on the appropriate action uh, to, to take. So if they're not going to automatically disclose, we take from that, they're not going to automatically close uh, either. It's concerns all to do with confidentiality. It still remains unclear how much information will be offered to the parents of a child who are not directly affected. It's understood that only the staff and only the parents and students who come into direct contact with the person who's tested positive for COVID-19, they'll be informed and that will be all done via the uh, contact uh, tracing. Also, some principals have come out and say that they will require their students to wear face masks in class as they simply do not have enough space for social distancing because that was one of the things that we waited on to hear yesterday when the roadmap for the reopening of schools. Some had thought that all second level pupils would, and because in supermarkets it's children under the age of 13 don't need to wear face masks. So people kind of thought, when are they going to do that in schools? Will anybody over the age of 13, so all of our secondary school pupils, will they all have to wear face masks? But it came out yesterday that no, uh, they're not making it mandatory and it seems to be up to uh, individual schools and principals and some principals are now already saying we cannot guarantee enough space for social distancing so their way around that is to make those students uh, wear masks. How that's going to go down with some pupils and their parents, I don't know. And then the teachers unions, they're all now taking a look at the roadmap for the reopening of schools and they're all coming out, giving their opinions. Many of them are casting doubts on the ability to fully reopen all the schools at the end of August and they're saying there is simply two tight a time frame for the level of work that's required. And this is going to vary, obviously, from school to school. And John McGann, the General Secretary of the Teachers Union of Ireland, he says a staggered reopening may be what is going to be uh, required. He's also predicting that some schools will face delays. The reason for that is many of the schools are having trouble getting contractors to carry out the necessary work. And as I say, some schools will require more work than others. And certainly the larger schools with a bigger number of pupils, they certainly will have a lot more work to do than, say, your small country 
uh, primary school uh, may not have as much work uh, to do. The Association of Secondary Teachers of Ireland, Deirdre Macdonald from their group, said she isn't confident that all schools will get the go-ahead to open. As she said, some schools will need more infrastructure and she said schools are facing enormous, uh, an enormous challenge in the coming weeks. So she's not confident and I take it she's picking up on the word confident because the Minister for Education, Norma Foley, came out and said she was very confident that all of the schools would fully reopen at the end of August. Now the government is unveiling a recruitment campaign. This is for the secondary school at teachers to help to deal with sick cover should teachers have suspected or confirmed cases of COVID-19. Teachers unions have come out there calling for further clarity around substitute teachers and whether they will be brought in to cover absences unrelated uh, to COVID-19 because there has been, been the case that they they don't get cover for on if in the last 10 years if you're on self-certified sick leave are, I didn't realise this, if a teacher has to go on jury duty, there isn't substitute cover for those absences. So teachers are now, the teachers' unions are now saying, OK, you're promising substitute cover if someone is suspected or a confirmed case of COVID-19. But what happens if somebody gets a strep throat or somebody goes down with an ear infection or a teacher wakes up on a Monday morning with a migraine and is unable to go to, go to class What's going to happen there? Because I take it the teachers unions and the the school management will say we're going to need substitute teachers because heretofore, before COVID-19 anyway, if a teacher was going to be out for just one day, they would, you know, slot the, if it was primary school children, for example, they could take a group of them and put them into different classrooms. But obviously with social distancing and all of that, that's going to go out the door. So they are looking uh, for clarity on that. And then what happens if your son or daughter has to stay at home with the common cold or other illnesses, you know, that they suddenly spike a high temperature because they've got an ear infection. And it seems the parents will be forced to stay at home every time their son or daughter wakes up on a Monday morning with a, a runny nose. And there's a fear now that some working parents could end up losing their job. And it's an employment lawyer has uh, come out. Um, it's an employment law solicitor by the name of Richard Grogan. And he says that the, this whole thing of part of the government's roadmap for reopening schools actually clearly says that children must not attend if they're displaying any COVID-19 symptoms. And COVID-19 symptoms now can cover a whole host of other illnesses that are not necessarily COVID-19. He says it's going to create huge problems down the line. He fears the requirement to stay at home if showing any symptoms could also be abused. Now, he does he did say by a minority of workers who may claim oh I'm sorry I can't go into work it might be a Monday it might be Friday child is showing Covid symptoms I need to remain at home he says there has been barely any support put in place for employers to support home working he said the state is effectively abandoning parents and saying employers should facilitate them to stay at home but he reckons it isn't feasible he said unfortunately the July stimulus package did nothing to support employers for home working and he said employers aren't going to keep paying people who have to stay at home every single time the child has a runny nose or spikes a high temperature. He said the reality is that many employers have a business to run and it's going to come to the stage where employees will have to provide medical certs uh, for their children. It's going to create all kinds of uh, headaches. This employment law solicitor went on to say that while it is likely the Workplace Relations Commission will show a lot of sympathy towards employees, he fears that job losses could be inevitable as things stand. So there's so much still to be worked out. 
with, be, with before we have all of our children safely back at school and life returning to some kind of a normality. 1850-333-103. John Paul and Sadie are taking your calls. Text or WhatsApp 0862 103103. Now, an investigation is underway into a suspected human trafficking here in Cork. Gardaí carried out searches of two premises in the Charleville Mallow areas. It was on foot of a warrant on Sunday and it was part of an intelligence-led operation into suspected human trafficking in the Cork North Garda Division. Our senior news reporter, uh, Fiona Corcoran, uh, is reporting on this and she joins me. Good morning to you, Fiona. Good morning, Patricia. Do you know, I, I woke up and I heard your report this morning and I was kind of shocked uh, uh, and saddened and really taken aback to think that there could be human trafficking going on so close uh, to home. It just it's it's not something that you certainly report uh, on a lot or that we hear a lot about. What's known about this case? That's right, and as you say, it's very unusual, and in particular, a very unusual event to happen in smaller towns like Charleville and Mallow. I mean, these things happen in cities all over the world, um, and. You know, I suppose in a city where there's a large population, they can often go undetected, but you don't really imagine it to happen in smaller communities where everyone knows everyone, like in Charleville and Mallow. But indeed, that's what happened on Sunday. Um, Gardaí um, follow on foot of a, a, an intelligence operation uh, carried out two premises, Charleville and Mallow areas. And during these searches, they interviewed 24 people who were present in both of these places. And they also removed three males um, from the premises. And they're currently receiving assistance. And I suppose Gardaí are trying to identify these men and where they came from. And it's, it's suspected that they were trafficked. So I suppose that's all part of the investigation as well. Now, we haven't been given any information by the Gardaí as to the type of premises these were um, or anything about these men who were removed from the premises. Um, I understand that they were around 20 years of age or in their 20s. Um, now, um, a lot of people in the Charleville and Mallow areas have been talking about this and I suppose there's a lot of rumours about uh, who was involved and the premises that were involved. And I even got um, a text message last night from somebody saying that uh, it was understood that somebody had been arrested in connection with the investigation. But Gardaí, again, confirmed to me this morning that there haven't been any arrests made and they are hoping that people who have any information um, in relation to to this investigation or that may help with this investigation to contact Gardaí straight away with any information and they will be treated in the strictest of confidence. Okay, so we know nothing about the type of industry that they were, the type of work that these men were involved in. No, but um, you know, we hear a lot about um, children and about women in particular who may be trafficked for um, sexual reasons for prostitution. But um, for for the men involved in this, um, it's understood that they um, were brought over here for uh, employment that where maybe they wouldn't be getting any pay or maybe very little pay or their their conditions of work wouldn't be. Um, up to the standard that they should be here in Ireland. Shocking. So, yeah, it is. It yeah, because uh, I saw Mary Crilly, you know, talk about like 75% of people who are trafficked are, are women and, and children, but yeah. 25%, um, and that's obviously the sex industry, but 25% are men. Um, it's just awful mm-hmm. to think they can be brought to this country and they can go on uh, very close to home. It, it really is shocking. Anyone with information, please uh, contact the guy. Listen, uh, Fiona, I'll let you go. Uh, I Thank know you. you're in a rush. Thank you for that. And uh, thanks uh, for joining us. That's our senior news reporter, uh, Fiona Corcoran, on that suspected 
that it is now a suspected human trafficking case uh, here in Cork. No uh, arrests have been made uh, yet. Now, uh, just some reaction to the email I read out from Caroline who was talking about her mum who Caroline feels needs to see and needed to be seen by a GP uh, on Monday morning because she's diabetic. She has uh, been very unwell in recent years, including ending up in hospital, getting sepsis, went into renal failure, was very lucky to survive uh, and has ended up on Monday with this weeping leg. They rang the doctor. Doctor eventually rang back the GP who over the phone without seeing Caroline's mum diagnosed cellulitis and uh, sent a prescription through to the pharmacy and Caroline felt that that just wasn't uh, good enough and is wondering is this the protocol in all medical centres? You know, how do you get to actually see uh, a GP? Okay, some of your thoughts in about that. Uh, A listener says, uh, Meg says, hi, Meg says, uh, Dr. Nick Flynn, who regularly joins us on the programme from mycorkgp.ie. Meg points out that Dr. Nick on this programme said a few weeks ago that they were worried as GPs that people weren't attending in person and people weren't coming to their doctor's practice with Caroline's mum's medical history. Uh, Goodness me, it would sound like serious medical neglect, says Meg. Yeah, and I mean, my big worry is that, God, if it went on uh, to be sepsis, please God, it won't. And Caroline, they seem to be really on on top of it. And as I said, keep on to the doctor if they're not seeing any improvement. Another listener says, re-doctors, uh, home visits are gone, surgeries are gone. What next? Dentists will be doing a filling over the phone. Uh, hi, Patricia. That's not the, the, when Carolyn's asking, is this the protocol for all medical centres? Well, that's not the practice in our health centre in Kilmallock, says this listener. We make an appointment and you, uh, we make an appointment, you get to see a doctor and it's been like that for the past few weeks and so certainly during lockdown it was all done over the phone but this listener saying the health centre in Kilmallock it is possible to see a doctor. And Fiona says in my own medical centre you'd want to be having a heart attack before you get to be able to see a doctor. Both myself and my mother were waiting over 24 hours even for just a call back and then obviously diagnosis done over the phone and the prescription sent through to the uh, doctor. Uh, 1850 Uh Hi, I'm in my mid-40s and my blood pressure went high. Uh, like what you're talking about this morning, my GP never saw me. A nurse took my blood pressure in the car park. Uh, the doctor then spoke to me over the phone and he doubled the dose of my medication. The medication that was simply too strong and I ended up collapsing. Again, he never saw me. When I rang him back, he told me to stay on the medication. I didn't, I hadn't realised that fatigue was a side effect. After a few weeks, he changed my dose again without even seeing me. In the end, I came off the tablets myself. I've ended up buying a blood pressure monitor and um, I'm monitoring and I seem to be doing okay. By the way, I've left my doctor's. I've moved to another GP uh, practice. 1850 333333 for patients. Katrina O'Reardon from O'Reardon's Pharmacy in Enniskeen uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Katrina. Good morning, Patricia. Thanks uh, for having me on. Well, you're very welcome. Now, you had a problem getting medicine for one of your cancer patients. Can you talk us through what happened and, and outline what you had to do? 
Sure, absolutely. And I suppose from the outset, um, I would say that, uh, you know, this isn't unusual or I didn't go to do anything extraordinary. I suppose it's just one example um, where I suppose a patient, you know, um, during the, the time of COVID, during lockdown, they were trying to move patients out of the hospitals. They moved some patients from um, an injectable form of their medication onto an oral form. But there was actually none in Ireland. Um, we had a time frame where she needed for the Tuesday and this was kind of the, the Friday Thursday, Friday. Um, so, you know, once you kind of, as a pharmacist, once you find out that something is out of stock, um, you just get that information from your supplier. You try and, you know, dig deeper, go further. I end up speaking to, to the head of, of manufacturing of that company. Um, and we eventually got somebody um, who was able to, to find out that there was, there was loads of it in the UK and it just wasn't in Ireland. And I was literally getting updates on, you know, it's, it's on the ferry, it's with the courier. In the meantime, obviously, I had to speak to the, the prescriber because, um, you know, I, cu- I couldn't, you know, be certain that I would get it for Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or whenever. Um, and so I had to figure out what kind of timeline we had, how tight was it, could we get it anywhere else, um, as in they have some in hospital, which they didn't. Um, and he was happy to kind of extend it by about 72 hours. Um, and I suppose all of this is something that we do and try not to involve the patient. I know, because I, I, my, my, my yeah. next question was going to be, was yeah. the patient aware that this was all going on in the background? No, I mean, yeah. first of all, I, I you couldn't. I, I absolutely, somebody, our patients, I mean, by, by their very definition, are, are in their own well and they've enough going on. And I, you know, and I always feel like it's not their fault. <laughs> I know it's not my fault either, but yeah. I, can say, I, I can do something about it, hopefully. Um, so, so first of all, no. And um, as, you know, as I suppose it became where, you know, the lady clearly would like to fix it up on the Monday, you know, for Tuesday or whatever, uh, I explained that we had, we had, you know, put things in motion. We had spoken to the prescriber because I think, you know, a patient would like to know that it is going to be okay if it is a day late or not yeah, a day late, yeah. you know, whatever. So that, that, that was, that's what we did. But the thing is, that's kind of going on, you know, um, day in, day out with, with medications in Ireland. And uh, it, it's been something that's going on for a number of years, but has got progressively worse. And as they... 97%, which is virtually all pharmacists, have seen it get worse in the last 12 months. And, and, so this has nothing know, to do with COVID-19 and the pandemic? It, it's been exacerbated, absolutely exacerbated. But I think um, the biggest issue, and, and I'm sure it'll come as a surprise to people, but right now Ireland used to be a very expensive country for medicines, as you know. Um, and I should say that the price of medicines is negotiated between the HSE and the um, pharmaceutical um, industry um, representatives. So... Over time, it has been reduced, which is obviously a very positive thing for patients um, and for the taxpayer. But unfortunately, it's got to a point now where Ireland isn't a very attractive market for uh, companies to supply into. Um, and it doesn't help that we're in Ireland. It doesn't help that like that. You have to put it on a boat and a lorry to get it to us. Yeah. Um, so there are increased costs for companies. And, and what, what we're seeing increasingly is that when a company has, as you can imagine, if they've got 100 boxes or something and they get a fair decent price for it in France, and France is just down the road by a lorry. They'll send so it to France. France. Yeah. So what we're yeah, what we're really looking for is we're trying to say, okay, yes, everything has to be it has to be at the best possible value because these are state schemes, the best possible value for for um, taxpayer and for patients. But there has to be some leeway where um, our, we're asking that the HSE Department of Health to to look at you know making this patient focused so that patients aren't suffering because it is a down to the last cent. And I mean, it, it might only be you know cents, fifty cents a euro at times. But it is it is putting Ireland at the back of a queue when it comes to you know allocating medication. So we're looking at the, asking them to, to you know look at it from the patient's point of view. Say, listen, we might have to pay for a month or two. We might have to pay higher than what we want to pay, and we'll bring it right back down. And when supply improves, and we think that will really alleviate an awful lot of the problems we're facing. Now there are still issues with you know manufacturing delays. 
and things like that. But I think it's, it's really being exacerbated by the fact that Ireland is not attractive. Mm. Um, and then, and then, is there an issue as well that sometimes drugs get withdrawn from the market? Yes, um, and again, unfortunately, it's, it's a very, very similar thing. We're we're a small market. If it's a medication for something that is obviously essential but not a particularly um, common illness, and um, there there is. You know, there's quite a lot of, of paperwork, as it were, to get through to get a mar- an item licensed in Ireland, and it's quite an expensive process. So, with the result, companies are kind of looking and they're saying, "Well, it's going to cost us, you know, five thousand to do this, and we're going to make six thousand out of it. So, why bother? We'll just yeah. keep, keep, keep selling in the UK." So, we are like a lot of those medicines are kind of coming in through a back door where we're sourcing them um, from abroad through various companies, but unfortunately. A lot of the time, then they're not covered by the HSC. Patients have to go through, you know, laborious paperwork to get them covered as an exemption. And you know that again, as I say, it's just all boiling down to being a small market where, you know, um, companies don't find it attractive um, here. And I suppose what we're saying is the HSC and Department Health need to take that on board and need to realise that patients will suffer. You know, um, and mm-hmm. as they, over half of pharmacists see their patients have already suffered. And bearing in mind, I suppose if. You know, almost 100% of pharmacists see shortages and half of us are saying patients are suffering. There's a, there's a lot of work going into keeping it keeping it away from the patient. You know? Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah and, we're off the line, yeah. And actually, could you clarify an issue that came up yesterday on prescription um, uh, charges? Sure. Were prescription, in the budget, it was announced the prescription charges yeah. were going to come down uh, in the 2020 budget. July. They were going to come down in July. But yeah. we got calls in yesterday saying they haven't come down. No, they, they, um, I believe, and I, I could be entirely correct, I believe it was to do with it just not, no, I am correct in saying it wasn't signed in. So obviously these things have to get signed into, I don't know, laws or amendments yeah. or whatever to get signed By in. By the new minister. Exactly, and it wasn't done. Um, so it was to do with the fact that we didn't have government formation, really. Um, so, yeah, it's disappointing. I suppose it's disappointing because if it hadn't been put on the long finger first day, it would have been done long ago, you know. Um, and we certainly see patients, um, you know, particularly elderly or vulnerable patients or patients who find themselves, you know, without a home, etc., um, really struggling to find that money. And, you know, a lot of the time, I suppose we're finding that, I mean, it's, it's, it's merely, it's, it's a tax collecting. Exercise it is, yeah. yeah. It so is, basically, like, I mean, what happens at the end of the month, every two euros is taken off whatever the government are going to give me for my fees. And so we're farmers that find themselves kind of going, you know, they've, they've, there's an account everywhere for people who are saying, well, I'll pay it next week, I'll pay it tomorrow. And you know they don't have it. You're yeah, not going yeah. to force them. So, yeah, it, it is very disappointing. It's yeah. very disappointing to have them. And they're on and holidays. They're on holidays tomorrow. So I don't know if it's going to get, if it's going to get uh, signed in uh, by then uh, or not. And how busy have you been? you know, with the pandemic and, and has your role changed? Yes, yes, absolutely. Like, I mean, it, it has, it was, it was, it was two extremes. It was wonderful. It was absolutely wonderful in one sense. I suppose we really, we really saw the value of what we do in the community and we really felt so appreciated by our patients. But on the other hand, it was exceptionally stressful. You know, the, the drug shortages were really, were really bad. Um, we were kind of dealing with a lot of infection control and making decisions as to what was the best way of protecting ourselves and our patients. Um, and I suppose we were dealing with, you know, people as well know, people were very stressed and very upset and worried. Um, and I suppose they saw you know, quite rightly direction from ourselves as, as healthcare professionals, um, and so I suppose all of that, you know, it evolved very, very quickly. And there were, there were, you know, strange things like suddenly prescriptions, as I'm sure your your listeners will know, prescriptions all kind of became electronic, which is, you know, it's a positive actually. It's, mm. it's easier for patients, it's easier for us. Um, but there was a lot of, you know, IT learning in that, and I suppose there's a whole lot of, of mix. But on the whole, I think community pharmacists really felt, um, they really felt appreciated, and they really felt 
so embedded in the community, you know, as part of this. So it's such a, you know, let's pull together and let's help each other kind of thing, you know. So, you know, there were positives as well as, as, well as stress. Uh, we're getting calls coincidentally in uh, today about trying to access your GP and how everything's triaged over the phone now. And then, as you said, the prescription is sent straight uh, through to the pharmacy. Not everyone is very happy with that. Do you end up then picking up the flak trying to answer the questions for people? Um, I think we always would have been in that role, to be honest. So I don't see that having having changed in any sense. Um, we, I would, you know, I would deal a lot with, with triaging patients and with minor ailments and minor illnesses as it is. And I suppose we'd be actively encouraging patients to continue to, to access their community pharmacy in that sense. And, you know, sometimes, you know, if a patient comes in and they can they can show me what it is, um, it's a bit too perspex at the moment, but um, if they can talk me through it and have a little face-to-face, well, then I can even help them. A lot of the time, there'll be stuff over the counter that they can try first, or um, I can certainly advise them, you know, what they need to, to say to their GP um, when they make that phone call. And I think, I suppose, um, you know, it'd be, it's, it's patients used to being perhaps sitting, you know, comfortably for a longer period of time in, in the doctor's office. And I think maybe it's, it's a good opportunity for patients to get used to, um, you know, expressing um, their feelings about their, you know, what illness they're suffering, etc. And, you know, getting good at describing it and that. So sometimes we'd help them with that as well, of kind of narrowing down what their symptoms are um, and then hopefully providing them with something that actually might start it out with having to go to the doctor Yeah, because I do think telemedicine is going to be with us for, for, for a long time to come. Yeah. And Katrina, the wearing of face masks, are you seeing more people wearing face masks coming into your pharmacy in Enniskeen? Absolutely delighted, delighted. And I would say um, we have obviously reusable face masks, and this isn't an ad because um, <laughs> they're, actually for, they're actually for um, the Women in Direct Provision, so Cork Sanctuary Mask Initiative. They hello to all the wonderful women, Naomi and all her helpers there. Um, so we've been distributing some of their um, face masks for them, um, and they've been really well received. And I suppose, you know, that that group is an example of, you know, the wonderful things that can come out of this situation. Yeah. Um, but on the whole, yes, we're seeing a whole lot of face masks. I'm absolutely Brilliant. delighted. Brilliant. It's something I would have been very positive towards in the first place. So, yeah, Listen, like well, well done. Keep up the good work. Keep fighting the fight. Uh, and thanks a million for joining us on the programme <laughs> this morning. So good morning Hi. to you. Bye-bye. What a lovely pharmacist. That is Katrina O'Reardon and she is in O'Reardon's pharmacy in Enniskeen. And Caroline has just come back to us with an update on her mother uh, who needed the doctor on Monday and when they rang triaged over the phone and just given an antibiotic and Caroline's been very worried about her mother because of her mother's medical history where Caroline has just been back on to us to say that her mum got worse overnight so she ended up bringing the GP practice this morning the receptionist said as what happened on Monday a GP will call you back and she said in fairness he did ring back quite quickly uh, asked to speak uh, they they explained what was going on with Caroline's mother and he said can you bring her into the GP practice immediately which he did uh, he was he assessed her then he was going to admit her to hospital for IV antibiotics however he's concerned if she was admitted to hospital that she could pick up a hospital inquired infection so what he's decided to do is give her a second antibiotic he sent her home and the public health nurse is going to pop in and keep an eye on her and I suppose if the situation worsens then she will end up in hospital please God she won't uh, but at least she got to see the doctor uh, today and well done to uh, Caroline uh, for keeping on top of that for her mother we wish her mother the very very best and if we get any more I, um, keep us updated Caroline on how your mum is doing 1850 I can see a lot of texts and a lot of calls uh, coming in on this on people commenting on their interaction or their lack of interaction uh, with their GP practice you can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103 
Record today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Okay, just uh, update on some of your calls coming in about doctors and people not having access uh, to uh, doctors. Some of your uh, calls in on uh, this um, no, I'll, I'll leave the calls for a sec because I, I need to read down to them. Let me get me bringing some of the, ke- the the texts in. Mary says, "Good morning, Patricia. Meg, one of your listeners is right in what she's saying about the difficulty in getting in to see a, a GP. Uh, every illness now seems to be treated over the phone. If you have an infection in your toe or your tooth or your ear, or if you have a temperature, the doctor will send you for a COVID test. Which says Mary, I think is uh, crazy. Well, this protocol on going for uh, COVID testing. Anyway, doctors don't want people." patients going into their surgery anymore says uh, Mary I hope Caroline's mum will be okay it is so sad Hi Patricia regarding doctor's visits like your previous listener I too would like to remain uh, anonymous due to the fact that I'm dependent on my doctor for my medical care however in my opinion we're at the mercy of doctors and they know it well there's a shortage of doctors in every town throughout Ireland and as they say beggars can't be choosers we are at the mercy of those chosen people and I feel says this texter that they're milking the current situation in a negative way. Bottom line here is people slash patients should be treated and respected and not regarded as an item. Doctors need to get their act together and treat people with respect and the dignity that they deserve. Some of your WhatsApps uh, in uh, Patricia on going to the doctor in our GP practice they're now charging €20 to have blood tests done. It's supposedly to cover the cost of the PPE gear. We thought the previous charge before COVID at €10 was expensive but this is outrageous. Whatever about me and my family it's my poor parents. They're both in their 80s and I feel so sorry for them. €40 in one month out of their pension is a lot of money. Yet the practice my sister goes to charges uh, nothing. And hi uh, Patricia says Mary uh, here just my take on doctors. I lost my mam the end of April. Nothing to do with COVID-19. We were lucky enough to have mam at home with us all of the time but it would not have been possible only for the help from mam's GP who went well above and beyond the call of duty. He was always at the end of a phone day or night. Never a problem with a house call. Even called three times in one day. Mam's GP is one of the doctors from the Living Health Centre in Mitchellstown. Can't say enough about them. We could not have had Mam at home only for their help. Thanking you, uh, Patricia, and our uh, condolences to you on the loss the loss of your mum. This is Court Today. Court Today with Patricia Messenger on C one hundred and three. Uh, mentioned at the top of the programme this morning about uh, children going back to school end of August, start of September and some parents were wondering if there was a case of COVID-19 in the school, would the school close completely and it doesn't look like uh, it will and then we were talking about the fact that uh, parents uh, will receive limited information about a COVID-19 case at their child's school, the emphasis will be put on those in close contact and it's all to do with uh, confidentiality and all of that so not everybody in the school will be informed if there was a COVID-19 positive case that's prompted Mary to say Patricia with regards to schools not needing to disclose cases of COVID-19 to all pupils and to all of their families I can assure you 
that in a rural school when a teacher and a few pupils disappear for a few weeks people will put two and two together in small communities a fly can't walk up a wall without the whole parish knowing about it kind regards Mary and you know Mary I thought the very same thing myself thank you for that 1850 Now Cork County Council is to write to the Taoiseach and to the Minister for Housing seeking information on how Irish water is funded because the utility is currently unable to carry out a number of projects needed in the county Fine Gael Councillor John Paul O'Shea says that the funding model for Irish water which was created back in 2014 is not working and Councillor John Paul O'Shea joins me. Good morning to you, John Paul. Good morning, Patricia. Good morning, uh, Well, And you're welcome. Now, as, as a council, you're trying to put together a five-year development plan and progress that development plan. Is it almost impossible when areas don't have adequate wastewater treatment plans? That's correct, Patricia. I suppose we started our uh, public consultation process on the review of the county development plan. And as you rightly say, it's a five-year plan and that is commencing this year. We have a public consultation now just finished. We'll be producing a draft plan uh, next year and it'll be finalised in 2021. And that will devise, really, I suppose, what development can take place in every town and every village in County Cork for the next uh, five years. Um, so it's critically important as we plan for the progress um, of these towns and villages villages that uh, we ensure that we can, I suppose, live up to what we say if we're going to build uh, 50 houses in one village, 200 houses in another village, that we need to, uh, I suppose, without reservation, say that we can provide, um, our Irish water can provide the water infrastructure and the wastewater infrastructure as well. And we found that it's extremely difficult in the last number of months in particular in getting Irish water to agree um, to, I suppose, um, planned programme of works that they've already got in place, uh, Patricia, and uh, what we've seen in the last number of weeks um, in particular, again, is the cancellation of many works uh, that have been take, that have been planned to take place in North Cork over the next couple of months, which is really, really worrying. And is, is, this, is this a county-wide problem? It isn't just pertaining to it, North Cork? It's actually a nationwide problem, Patricia, and this is where I'm coming from. Uh, whereas when Irish, Irish Water was set up back in 2014, it was set up on the basis that they would have a certain amount of revenue uh, themselves because they still have revenue from the non-domestic water charges, which is um, our businesses and our farmers who pay rates to Irish Water now on an annual basis to provide water for those businesses and those uh, agricultural um, um, farms. Um, but there was also the possibility of the domestic water charges, which was taken into account when Irish water was set up. And as we know, after many political debates, um, domestic water charges are no longer the, the case. But domestic water charges income is still involved in the Irish water um, business plan. So, like, Irish water don't have the capital they need every single year to carry out projects um, that I'm talking about. So, so, so Irish water would have based their model on what they plan to do for the future on all of us paying our water charges annually. And suddenly that money's been taken away. And has it been replaced? No. And it hasn't. So, like, I mean, um, they've gone back to the government and 
uh, for some funding and government have given them some funding uh, out of the National Exchequer. Uh, but that's only on an ad hoc basis. So what I'm saying is, and what my fellow councillors, all 55 councillors in Car County, we've written to on Taoiseach and the Minister for Housing, Planning and Local Government, Dara O'Brien, and also the Minister, Michael McGrath, who's the uh, Minister for Public Expenditure and Reform, to say that they're going to have to discuss the future funding model for Irish Water because, you know, if Irish Water don't have the capacity to borrow money uh, for large um, infrastructure projects, um, for example, Patricia, the Mallow sewer scheme was supposed to be updated uh, in Mallow commencing this year. Mm. And there was supposed to be a number of works carried out in the town park and in the park roads. And we were catering for that as part of those works uh, in Cork County Council. Those works have been now abandoned until 2021. And there's no guarantee that they'll be put back that, in place in 2021. That they'll even go ahead. And uh, an ongoing leaks, pardon the pun, but is that a major drain on Irish water funding? Uh, well, it is huge, Patricia, because the average water leak is costing two and a half to three thousand euros uh, to repair. And uh, you know, um, I know my colleague and brother, Councillor Tony O'Shea, has mentioned uh, several examples of in Ballyclaw, uh, which is a village just outside Mallow, in the last number of weeks where they've had daily breaks for the last five weeks. Uh, and you can imagine how much that is costing. And we are, as councillors, are trying to get three kilometres um, of main rehabilitation approved there for several months. And Irish Water simply said that there's no money there to do that. Is there a case for local authorities to take back control of water issues? Well, it was one of the very interesting points that my colleague, Councillor Michael Hagerty, uh, mentioned at uh, our full council meeting when we brought this, because this motion came from the Northern Committee, Patricia, which I proposed it, and we brought it to full council because it involves the whole of the county council and it involves um, uh, the whole of the country. So we brought it to uh, the full council table and the full council stage uh, last week. But Councillor Hagerty mentioned a very good point that the Cork County Council should be left with the very smaller schemes in relation to the upgrading of three kilometres in Betty Claw, there was four kilometres to be upgraded in Kilbrin, that's now cancelled and if we could be left to those small projects and leave Irish water to the very large infrastructure yeah, projects yeah. like the Mallows, like the Shanagarries like I, mean, I know you've had many mention of the, the wastewater treatment plant issues in Belgooley yeah. and down in South Cork for the last number of days and let Irish water and they are very good at doing um, you know, planning and making sure that the large infrastructure is provided for and to make sure that uh, there's a plan in place for that. Let Irish water do that and let the county council deal with the small issues. Let the county council deal with the small villages to make sure that we can build five or six houses in, in each village for the next five years. Let us make sure that there's capacity for that. Another example, Patricia, and I, you're talking about a housing problem in this country and we're trying to build as many houses as we can. We have two service sites in Kilbrain, which is a village in North Cork, and we're trying, the council owned them. They are serviced and everything, but we can't attach them to the sewer at the moment because the wastewater treatment plant is overloaded. So if we become and have this problem in every uh, town and village, we won't be able to. We'll build never a build a house. Yeah, we'll never build a house. Okay. Uh, so, so you're, you, you've written to the Taoiseach, um and the Minister for Housing and expecting a reply. It'll be September, I'd say now, will it? It will indeed, I'd say, Patricia. And we, we hope that, uh, I suppose, we want to raise this at national level and we want to make sure that it's not only an Arcor problem, it's not only a counterweight problem, it's a nationwide problem. And it's been ongoing uh, since domestic water charges has been ruled off the agenda. And that's fine. But, like, you know, uh, that was a political decision. It was the government decision made at the time. We're not asking that for it to be rescinded or anything like that. But what we're asking for is that a proper funding model for Irish water would be introduced uh, to cater for the water infrastructure upgrade that will need to take place in the next 
second yeah, number. It's, it's just a common sense approach. And just where we have you on, on, on a good news story, Cork County Council confirming that the works on the Mallard Boardwalk project are going to run throughout the month of August. Yeah, which is a very, very worthwhile project. And I, when I was when I was mayor back in 2015, 2016, we actually went to the Southern Regional Assembly to get funding for this. And it's a €2 million euro project, um, 50% funded, €1 million euro funded by the European uh, Union. So it's a very um, worthwhile project. It'll uh, cause a lot of good uh, traffic relief uh, to Mallow uh, when it is finished at the end of the year. Uh, it's slightly delayed over COVID, like everything else. Uh, and unfortunately, we can't do anything about that, but it's back in progress now. And we will see, uh, I suppose, boots on the ground and see physical um, I suppose changes in the next couple of weeks so it's very very worthwhile. And while you're right long term uh, it will minimise traffic people can expect that there will be some traffic delays while the work is ongoing I think it's a stop and go system they're putting in place Absolutely, Patricia, and I think uh, as well as that, uh, um, a lot of the physical work on the, the boardwalk itself has been made off-site, yeah. so what we'll see is a lot of progress in that, and you'll see a lot of, I suppose, visual changes in the next couple of weeks, which people have been, I suppose, commenting on the last number of weeks, that yeah. there hasn't been. They haven't seen a lot of work there, but let me just re- remind and reassure people that a lot of work has been going on in the background and uh, fingers crossed that we'll have a fantastic new board walk there at the end of the year. It'll be great. It'll be great. Listen, we leave it there. Stay safe, Paul. John Paul, thank you for that. Thank and thanks you. for joining us. That is uh, Councillor John Paul O'Shea, 1850 Still getting in texts and calls uh, to do with going to the GP or in some cases not being able to go to the GP. Let me just look at some of the calls uh, that have come in to us. I got to Caroline's one. Where's this? This is Marie with a tale of two doctors. Marie says, Hi, I'm 73 years old. Don't have any underlying health problems. But two weeks ago, my doctor rang. Uh, she wanted me to come in for a consultation and she wanted me to have my bloods checked. It didn't suit because I had a family affair and arrangement to go to that uh, weekend. But I, I, I said I'd come back in when I was less bu- busy. Anyway, she was back on to me again saying that I needed to come in to have my bloods done. While that was all uh, going on my son who is with another GP practice in the area uh, had been ringing his doctor for the last number of weeks so he has an underlying heart condition and he couldn't get through to his GP practice they just simply weren't answering the phone he needs a check up on his tablets so it comes down to which doctor you're going to my doctor offered me two separate consultations and I wasn't even unwell and checking up on me by phone call while another doctor uh, in the area and you can't get through so it depends and I must say judging by the calls we're getting in we've some people critical of their GP practice and we've others saying fantastic they're very happy and that their doctors are going above and beyond the call of duty. Glenn on Twitter at C103 uh, Cork says it's all about the GP GPs making money. He says there's price gouging going on. He cites the example of 40 euro at his GP practice for a phone consultation and then 60 euro if you have to go in in person. That's 100 euro in in total. And he said it's all been put down to uh, COVID-19. Most GPs then are only referring you on to the local injuries clinic and the assessment unit. Glenn feels the whole thing is a bit of a joke. And John contacted us and this kind of broke my heart when I read John what John had to say. He rang his uh, doctor and got new medication. He's got type 2 diabetes. Uh, It's all done, triaged over the phone. And then he said his symptoms got worse. He called back and was told, oh, the GP will ring you back. He said that was three weeks ago. The doctors are making even more money now because they're not looking after the medical card patients. I rang them first thing in the morning and it was eight or nine o'clock that night and I even had to call back a few times to remind them I'm still waiting on a call. I need to get my bloods done. I'm waiting over a week now to get an appointment. 
And then John says, I'm going to die because somebody needs to see me. I'm in bed because I'm too sick and weak to get up. It's not just heartbreaking. I, I don't know, John. Um, I think it was Sadie took that call. Is there anybody that you can contact? I'm hoping that there's somebody in the house with you that's uh, looking after you. Just mind yourself. And I would say, you know, get back onto the GP again. Explain to them how sick and unwell uh, and just, you know, keep contacting them, keep telling them, keep, you know, the message will eventually get through to them that you need to be seen sooner rather than later. But I just, I hate to think of you lying in bed, feeling that your life is just uh, ebbing away. So please make contact uh, again. And Maraid says, uh, hi, Patricia, I've, I have had to visit my GP approximately four times during lockdown. Never was a problem. I can only say they provided a super service. That's the Roscarbury Medical Centre, as did Madden's pharmacy in Roscarvery. Good to give credit where credit is due. Thank you for that uh, Maraid. And Tim says that the Marino Medical Centre in Bantry have been absolutely great. So some of the GP practices are fantastic. Uh, 1850 333 103. By the way I can see some questions coming in for Peter. He's on a day off today. He won't be with us today. He'll be back with us to answer your gardening questions next week. C103 Jobs School bus drivers are required for the Bandon Kinsale area. Now you need a Class D driving licence that is essential. St Joseph's Daycare Centre, that's in Rathmore. They have a vacancy for a care assistant through their CE scheme. While full and part-time positions are available for general construction workers, that's in Dohalo. And Caulfield's Supervalue, that's in Riverview Shopping Centre in Bandon. They've got vacancies for Delhi assistance. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Cork Today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 2103 103. And uh, t- just a couple of uh, texts and calls coming in about uh, people going to their GPs uh, for blood tests and getting charged for blood tests. Uh, somebody said, I've just paid €30 Euro for a blood test. Somebody else was saying, I went to the uh, doctor and was charged €10. Euro. The €10 Euro charge was in the way before COVID-19. It seems to some, and again, it's some GP practices, uh, some have gone up in price when uh, taking blood since the start of the pandemic. Now, yesterday, we spoke about the need for the reopening of the adult disability services. And during our, ch- our chat, we highlighted the role of family carers and how they're saving the state huge sums of money every year. Well, Patrick Moynihan is in Glamworth. He is a full-time carer to his special needs daughter, Gobnet. And he joins me to discuss a really hard-hitting email that he sent to the programme uh, this week. Good morning to you, Patrick. Good morning, Patricia. And you're very welcome to the programme. You began your uh, email by painting a picture of what it's like to care for a child with a special needs. Will you just share that with us? Yes, um, I began by just painting the picture of imagine when the new baby comes into the house and we all know what it's like that the late nights that the child that you have to give her a lot of attention and that it's up late at night sometimes that you have to do everything for the baby like they can't do anything for themselves and like but at times like that baby is 100% of the attention which is understandably and when that child grows up you'd less and less attention but what I was looking at is that imagine having that child all of the time 
even that that child that child may come to the ter- terrible twos, and you'd have the cranky child, and as we all know, the difficult to deal with. And again, they grow out of all that stage. But a child with special needs never grows out of those stages. Yeah, a child will will grow out of all the uh, the needs to be looked after all of the time and will become independent and will eventually fly the nest and, yeah. and off they go. Whereas a child with special needs, the care is never ending. Never ending. Like, I'll give you a very simple example of the child, when the baby, you have to change their nappy. When, the, when they, they start to go to potty training and eventually they do themselves. The child with special needs, in a lot of cases, never grows out of nappies. Never. Yeah. Like, Describe as best you can a, a typical day for you as a family carer looking um, after Gubnet. You, you, what, what time do you get up at? Well, because of COVID now, we don't get up so early because of, we have no schools. Okay. But in general, you'll be up for half seven. And like you have to feed, well, she's on feed overnight. So there's medicines in the morning. Um, I can change her too early in the morning and generally I have to change her clothes uh, after the night. The pyjamas have to come up, but I can do that until approximately 10 o'clock because of being on feed at night. She has reflux issues, so I can have her down, lying down flat for too long. So time delay has to happen there. Um, I have to change all her clothes. She may, by the time I have them changed and put her, put her back into her comfy chair, she may get sickened down on top of the whole lot of it. And that has to be done again. And do the regular, comb her hair, wash her face and hands, get her all ready for the day. And this could be... This could take up until 11 o'clock in the morning. Now, I do have to do a little bit of physio on her because she doesn't get any... When she's not in school, she doesn't get any of the the physio exercises. And um, she she will have to... I have to do all of that by myself, I suppose. Again, the physio is on the phone. And, like, as a carer, you become a physio. In short, you become an OT. And a lot of the time, you become a doctor because you have to try and diagnose because she come the can to talk. So you have to diagnose what's wrong. I can, I, I can hear her there in, in, in the background yes. uh, with you. Um, I, 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 remind us what age is Gubnet now? Gubnet is 11 and a half. 11, 11 and a half. Um, and, it's, it's, and is she growing as an 11 year half would grow or is she still very small? No, she's quite tall actually. Is she? Okay. She is. And that brings with it its own problems? It does. Like It brings, like the, the child will always, every child especially will grow up and not necessarily grow, they'll grow in age, but they'll grow in size, but not um, intellectually. Like, Can Gobna do anything for herself? Besides laughing, <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> laughing and um, probably uh, throwing the hands around the place, no, she can't. Nothing. 
So you you would do some physio in in the morning, and then would there be then what lunchtime comes? Do you feed her then at lunchtime, or how? She how, is she is due to go on her feed. She she's on. Just say, explain, feed. yeah, explain what you mean by that. She she's peg. She, she's okay. peg fed. She's peg fed. Okay. Which is like a so you have to do you do all of that as well. I do all of that. I I put on her pig. Uh, um, in actual fact, I change her pig every three months myself. Um. Again, that's where the doctor comes in. Like, if she was in hospital, there's no way a nurse would be qualified to change that pig. But, but a family carer is expected to do it at home? Yes, on a regular basis. Um, like, if at school it's the nurse that puts on the feed because she's qualified to do so, I do it with my eyes closed on a daily basis two and three times a day. And your qualification comes from experience? Experience. Experience. Um, at this stage, I could almost teach um, anything to do with the pigs. Yeah. And how do you, what, what would happen in a typical afternoon? Is there, what does, what does Gubnet like to do? Does she, what does she get joy from? Um, others around we go outdoors now today is a little bit wet but we go outdoors and walk her, walk the, along the road around the house um, just generally kind of being with you being chatting to her um, giving her the same level of attention as any 11 year old that's around the house if there's somebody on the phone she would like the idea of speaking to them if there's somebody comes in the, the worst thing you can do is ignore her. At least come over and say hello to her. Yeah. She del- she loves it. Just for somebody different to come in. Um, just, I suppose, I've gotten very used to understanding her chats. Um, like, there is no talk. Uh, but at but the gestures same time, I, and sounds, you'd know. Sounds, yes. Yeah. Does she, does she like music? Um, not important. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Particular, no. Okay. TV, could she follow a TV program? No. No, no she, her, she is registered blind. But she does see shadows and things. Um, she knows her environment very well. She um, she has very good hearing, and like she would hear the car coming in the yard, oh, and she's waiting to see who's coming in. But she's fo- she's completely immobile. She's, she's yes. Oh yeah. 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 Um, can the day be very long, Porrick? Porrick for you. Uh, days that you can go out. Yes, it can be. No, I suppose I sit down. I take her in my arms for to give her a little bit of a sleep. She's starting to grow out of. The daytime sleeps at the moment, um, but like a lot of it is the human touch, just having her, having holding her hand, having her in your arms. No, I, granted, she is getting quite big, and not everybody, and I won't be, I won't be able to hold her in my arms for too long more because, as you could imagine, the eleven-year-old is she's getting quite strong as well. She has high tone and low tone. High tone is in that if she was to stretch her arms, the tone would hold her arm out straight and you would not be able to bend it. Same with her legs. Um, she may It may be that she just wants to stretch out. Yeah. And like, you just have to go with the way she is. And her di- her diagnosis was was what, Padraig? As well, it it isn't actually diagnosed, but it's as a result of a hydrocephalus, which is oh, right, at birth. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Goodness, you you, and and of course, school closed uh, as yes. as all of when we were talking yesterday about the the adult disability services. Of course, the children's disability services uh, closed. Yes. How, what effect has that had on? Uh, major, major effect. Um, Gumnet loved to to go to, to school in the morning. She loved the the escort. The school escort was like another mammy. She loved going in to school. She loved the the interaction in school. Her days when during the really lockdown part, she got so bored that. I now can understand where some people in nursing homes are falling asleep in their chairs because they have nothing to do. She was so tired from not being able to go out because boredom and yeah, just the lack of interaction. Lack of stimulation others. and it's just and detaching, just completely, yes. yeah, yes. yeah. I, I've, I listen. I, I could write write a book. I have it with my own daughter at yeah. home, just completely detached, just 
all she wants to do is sleep all day. It's just so yep. soul destroying, soul destroying uh, right. to watch. So while that was the effect on Gubnet, for you, Podrick, yep. the school the school being closed and Gubnet at home twenty four seven. That's a big, big issue. Um, like I would have been able to do simple things while she was in school. I could have done shopping. I could cut the grass. I no longer could do that. While even even if it was go out and just attend to flowers, go down go down and post to the post office. I couldn't do that without either putting Gumlet into the car and bringing her with me, or trying to get somebody in for an hour so I could go out and cut the grass. Just to sit with her. And that would mean that even if she needed to be changed while I'm outside, I would have to come in and do that. Are you getting any outside support? At the moment, no. Well, we do have um, HSE night nurse, which is a relief at night. But, like, it's three nights a week for ten hours. So, so that on those three nights you can sleep. Well, I suppose when you're awake, the other five nights of the of the, the the week, how much sleep do you get? Your body is in such a clock that you're constantly like I could wake up four or five times a night. And on the nights that you don't have the night nurse, you're constantly listening out well, for her. Your your body is the same is still on the same clock. Yeah. You're and would you have to get up many times at night? Um, depending on how she is. At the moment, she's teasing quite a lot and you may have to get up two or three times to her. Now, again, when I say get up to her, it, it would be literally get up and maybe move her, check to see if she's just generally uncomfortable. Sometimes it's just to reassure her that you're there because she just needs that human contact all the time and like it doesn't take long but it breaks up your night's sleep of course it does of course it does and you that's do where, all of this amazing work as as a carer and of course you do it because you're, you're Gubnet's dad and, and, and you love Gubnet but you are a full-time carer you don't you, you and your wife made the decision that you'd stay at home as the full-time carer so you get a carer's allowance? Well, I get a carer's allowance, which is, I wouldn't even consider it as an allowance. It's almost like pocket money. What carer's allowance, the, the maximum you can get on carer's allowance is €220 Euros a week. But that's not taking into account that carer's work seven days a week and we work 24 hours of the day. No, okay, you can say, how can you work 24 hours a day? You may not physically be working during the night, but you're on call every night. So averaging out of, let's say that you work 17, 18 hours of the day, what you, what carers receive is on average of one euro fifty per hour, yeah, per mm. hour, one mm. euro fifty per hour 
every day. And then there's the group of, of carers, uh, Podrick, yes. because their partner might earn just a little bit too much yes. who get nothing because it's means tested. Yes, it's means tested. And they work, they do exactly the same work. And just because the means, they're slightly, they may be only slightly above the means test cut off. Fine. But they get nothing. At least I get, okay, 31 euros a day. I get something. But they get nothing. You believe that rather than means tested, it should be needs tested. It, it should be needs tested because, like, the what the means is not taking into account of all of the additional expenses, and it is quite expensive to have a child with special needs in the house. Like, you may have a mortgage. I on my email I gave a very good example of that if. The, a couple had bought a house, started off life, bought a house, and they were able to afford the mortgage on the one income. They had a few children. One was special needs, and that one of the two decided to stay at home to look after the child. Just because the other person earns above the means that the person that stays at home gets nothing. Yet, the mortgage has to be paid, the children have to be looked after, and all the additional for the child with special needs has to come out of the one income. Yeah, I'm just Even I'm if just they think- do get the yeah. carer's loans. I'm just thinking like your, 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 your electricity bill, like heating, things like that would heating. be... The washing machine goes... I was just going to ask, uh, do, do you, do, you must have to do a wash every day. The, the washing machine goes at least twice a day, every day. Twice? Like, oh. because gum that doesn't have very good control of her saliva and things, and she may get sick, I have a heap of towels to wash on a daily basis. I could go through three or four, depending on how she is. She could get sick twice down the top of all the clothes. There's all the clothes have to be washed. Like, and that has to be, that's a daily basis. There could be at least two washes every day. You're uh, you're un, 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 unusual, uh, Porrick, uh, in that, uh, your family are unusual in that you decided to take the role of family carer that predominantly it's women uh, do that role can, can you talk us through what, how you came to that realisation that you would do it rather than your wife well in actual fact to, so um, we have an old an older son Peller and we decided when um, my wife was to go back to work we decided that one of us would give up working because it was a case of that one wage was going to the childminder and one wage was going to go for to live on. And I said, look, I was at the time I was working in the pig industry and I said, look, that I was the less secure job earning a little bit less. And I said, I would take over the caring of Pather at the time. And so as so happens, there's only two and a half years between them. And I, I wouldn't say I fell into the role, but 
because I was already off work. You were the house husband? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like 10 years ago, a carer or a house husband wasn't even recognised as an occupation. Yeah. Now, if you ring up, let's say, insurance company and you say, I'm a carer or I'm a house husband, they now have a box that they can tick that, yes, this is an occupation. Well, there are, there, but there are a lot. There are a lot now. More men have ended up in in the caring role, perhaps looking after a, a wife. They could be looking after an elderly parent. There are. I mean, it is in the main. It's it's women or carers, but there are a lot more male carers now. And do you get? Um, are you you do, you do you interact with the Carers Association, Family Carers Ireland, as they are now? I do, I do. Yeah. I do. And we had a group um, in for my. Uh, until COVID but I'm hoping to get that back again oh. I do interact with them I suppose it's yet when the door closes in the evening you're still on your own and that because of I'm the full time care if she was going to school I'd have a little bit more freedom to do and to interact with more people but at the moment when she's not that it's either bring her with me or I wouldn't say don't go but that's that's what it's it's like. And Podrick, where do you get your strength from to keep going? From Gunnett. Is it? From Gunnett. Um she she just I suppose you learn to live for the little joys. Um I suppose that's where I compared her to having a baby in the house. When the new parents see the new baby and it's suddenly smiling because you were chatting to them. Oh, wow, isn't it great? She's smiling. Uh, or even the big deal, I suppose. It is, and it is a big deal. A big deal when the child starts to walk, even if it is aided. But... We live for those little things that she talks back to you, come to talks back to you. She um, has finds something that you said really funny and you don't know what you said, but she finds it really funny. Um, somebody comes in, um, you can probably hear her there now in the background. Can, yeah. Her brother just came into the room there now and she's delighted to chatting to him. And like you, they're the things that, that keep you going. Keep you going. And what does the future look like, Patrick, for you in Gubnet? Um, I suppose, like, Gubnet, in a way, Gubnet has a long future, a long life ahead of her because medically she is stable. Um, and like, I suppose, unless that there is substantial recognition given to us as carers that we both will just sadly melt and die away because we won't be seen as she gets into her adult hood that she'll have to either go into the likes of St. Joseph's and daycare and at the moment, at the level she's at, she won't be able to do any 
physically physical work. So it is very likely that Gunderson will be uh, spend a lot more time at home. Do you worry about the future? Um, I I don't think about the future um, because uh, there's too much to do for now. So looking too far ahead would make you depressed, really. There's no point. No point. There's no point. Live for the moment. Live for the moment. Listen, you, um, you're... You're a fantastic dad and I can see uh, a lot of people saying the same thing including let me just sum it up with this text what a fantastic father and carer I'm in tears listening to him send all my love to him his daughter Gubnet and to their family I've never heard a situation described as well as uh, Porrick has done uh, today Uh, and anybody out there who's moaning and groaning about the small stupid things in life somebody else is uh, saying what a moment in time listening uh, to Porrick today wanting to wish him all the best on your show yesterday complaining about missing the 350 euros a week for two weeks on the pandemic payment on the pandemic payment they are so lucky to be getting it yeah I am on 31 euros a day 31 euros a day not 350 euros a week 31 euros a day Patrick it's just that people need to realise there are carers out there in every single parish. They're actually next door to you. And unless we as a, as a state recognise carers, the hospitals, nursing homes, every care centre would be overrun in the morning. If carers just stopped working, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. As we I keep saying, they're like, the forgotten they, people. When they spoke about having in the no room for the COVID cases, they are minute compared to what the carers are keeping out of the hospitals. Listen, you look after yourself. We'll keep in contact with you. And uh, thanks once again for reaching out with your email. It, it really was a, a stunning piece. But listen, look after yourself. Take care and uh, hugs to uh, to Gubnet. And uh, thanks a million for sharing your story with us today. Thank you. Much, Thank much you. appreciated. Thank you for that. Uh, 1850-333-103. is... Um, Patrick Moynihan from speaking about his daughter Gobnet from uh, Glamworth and just some reaction coming into my interview with Porrick talking about life as a full-time carer to his uh, daughter Gobnet. Margaret says uh, Porrick is a fantastic parent. He told the story of being a carer for his daughter so well and by doing that told all our stories as parents of special needs children. Maybe not exactly the same but nonetheless many similarities. Wishing him Gobnet and his family good luck for the future. That's from Margaret. Somebody else says Patricia, what a man, OMG. Uh, the way he's looking after his uh, daughter. Thank you. It was a great interview. Thank you for that. Uh, what that poor man said about being a carer and carer's uh, allowance. Um, 
well, well said to everything when you mentioned about carers uh, allowance. I'm caring for 10 years now for my son. We work 24 hours a day and the carers allowance should not be means tested. There are some carers, would you believe, get as little as 66 euro a week. It's a joke. And you've got TDs getting big money for sitting on their rear ends all day. What a country we live in. Teresa says, hi Patricia, isn't that Father Padraig a wonderful dad? He should get a gold medal. My heart breaks for his uh, family and other people saying that they know other male carers. They're not as common as female carers, but they do they, they, the work the carers do. And I think that's what Padraig managed to touch on and managed to get across so well in the way he described it. Um, he's a terrific guy. 18 1053 John Paul and Sadie are taking your cause now moving to a completely different issue because people in Kilbritton and the surrounding areas will be very familiar with the gorgeous food that's available at Rebecca's Kitchen Cafe. Well the cafe can now boast that they're the first food business in Ireland to use their waste food and they convert it into biogas which is then pumped into the kitchen and they cook with it all day. What a clever, clever idea. The owner and founder of uh, the cafe is Rebecca Scott, who joins me. Good afternoon to you, Rebecca. Hello, how are you? I'm very, I'm very well. Now, I took a look on your Facebook page to take a look at this machine. It's like a big red egg. Uh, it's, it a, big, it's a digester. Can you tell us a little bit about it and how it works? Yeah, so um, it's a digester, as you said. We feed all our food waste into uh, a sink that incinerates it, pumps it into this big red egg uh, where there's sort of live cultures. I don't know too much about the background. Okay. But um, then it, it converts that into biogas and it's pumped in into the kitchen and we cook on it for the day. And how did you find out about it? Um, well, we did a bit of research at the end of last year after the cafe really took off and we our food waste was increasing. Um, we had been composting it on the farm, but we needed something else because there was just so much... Um, so, yeah, a bit of research. I think my dad found, him, found some information online about um, the engineer here in coffee. He's actually nearby. He's in San Sophie. So, um, yeah, we just went, went from there and he, he built it for us. And is yeah. it, was it ex- expensive to install? Um, I suppose initially, yes. But when you look at what you're going to be saving over the years and, with you know, you're, you're reusing it then. So, no. Yeah, long term, you'll get you'll get your money back. Absolutely, for anything yeah. that 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 you invest in it, and 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 you simply just fill it up with any food waste out of the kitchen, is it? Pretty much all food waste. Um, it doesn't really like citrus peels, so we don't we we still compost that ourselves. But pretty much everything else, eggshells, veg peeling, everything really, yeah, it's that interesting. And then, not that there's very. Not that a lot of people leave food on their plates, but you can scrape all that in as well. You can indeed, yeah, yeah. Not much comes back, but great. Well, that's good. Away. That's yeah. good to hear. Yeah. And then, how much biogas does it produce? I mean, are you able to produce it every day? Yeah, produce every day. The bag sort of deflates throughout the day as we use it, and then we'll come in the next morning and it'll be full to the brim, ready to use then for the whole day. So it keeps us going for the day. Would you Would you suggest for other businesses to take a look and and maybe take one on board? Absolutely, yeah. Now we're in the beginning, We've only, it's only been functioning for three weeks, but it's absolutely brilliant. I would suggest anybody to do it. And, and what's it actually called? Uh, it's called a MyGug. 
Is, um, it, is it my gog? I saw, I saw that yeah. in your Facebook page and I wasn't too sure. sure. So it's my gog, G-U-G, uh, if people yeah. want to Google it and, and, and take a look at it. Or you can go onto Rebecca's uh, Facebook page just to take a look at her one. And, and uh, as I say, it's, it's a big red egg. And the reason, of course, you've only been using it for the last three weeks is because of lockdown. How did, yeah. how did the whole lo- How did you survive lockdown? Um, it was fine. I was uh, I was cooking away for a few locals, but but I had a bit of downtime, which was actually quite nice because I, I don't get much time off. I was very busy here, but um, yeah, it was fine. We actually were closed for the winter, and we reopened the day before lockdown. Basically, we were are you serious? Yeah, so it was, it was a bit unfortunate, but that's what we had to do, and it was fine. We survived. The time you couldn't have been worse because how how long? When did you set up the cafe? The cafe opened last June. Um, I had a, a catering company before that for four years. So I'm five years in business, but the cafe is only about a year old. But it's only a summer season, is it? Uh, well, we're, we're, generally, we're open March until December. So I just took January and February off. Oh, OK. OK. Yeah. And and yeah. how did last year go for you for, for in your first year? It was brilliant. It was so busy. We were blown away by the response. Um, yeah, I've just been run off my feet. Brilliant, brilliant. So is it is it good to be back open again? It's brilliant, yeah. So good to be back open. It's great to see everyone. And we've been busier the last three weeks than we ever imagined we would be. We thought last year we couldn't get much busier and it's just, it's just way, way busier now. So it's great. And I think there's a sense that people just want to get out, isn't there? Yeah, definitely. People are still really loving being able to do, you know, the normal things that they used to be able to do. And is it mainly locals or would you have a mixture of locals? Would you have your tourists as well popping in? Um, a small amount of tourists, but it's mainly locals. The local support has been phenomenal. So we're lucky because it'll bring us right through the winter as well. So it's been great. And social distancing and all of that, lots of different rules and regulations now compared to yeah. last year. Yeah, we um, we put on an extension. We were actually doing that anyway during the winter. So it was a big outdoor area that's now covered. So there's plenty of room for Brilliant. social distancing here. So it's Brilliant. Been great. Brilliant. Yeah. Okay, and I'm very conscious that it's, it's lunchtime and this is the busiest time of the day, so I'm going to let you go. Yeah. I'll let you get back to the kitchen. But listen, well Thank done. Well done. Thank and uh, continue good luck at the cafe. Thanks for joining us. Uh, bye bye. Uh, Rebecca Scott there from Rebecca's Kitchen Cafe in Kilbritton. As I say, locals will be well aware of the great food that she produces. But my gug. .ie. It is a digester. It's just one of those terrific ideas because of the food waste that you would have in prepping and getting ready uh, for food service. And what a great way to think that they, the digester the digester works on it and then it comes back in as biogas and it helps to run the kitchen. Actually, when, when Rebecca was saying that they've they've moved outdoors and you know that they have a lot more tables um, outside and that's very much what is happening everywhere and there's a piece on the news you know about awnings going up because more cafes now small cafes realise that you know if they have any space outside they need to start putting tables and chairs outside and the city is doing fantastic with you know streets being pedestrianised and there's almost some of the I haven't actually been out al fresco dining yet in, in the city but I've seen some of the pictures up on various Facebooks and Twitter and, and um, Instagram or whatever and it just looks like you could be in the south of France particularly on a sunny day it's gorgeous but of course we don't always have the sunshine so there's awnings going in to make it possible on a kind of a dreary old uh, day it's still warm enough to sit outside but you just you want to stay dry so there are awnings going in and I know we're running a piece on the news uh, about it as well and Heidi has picked up on that same Trish I've heard on your news about the cafes uh, wanting to get outside awnings for more space for having more tables without 
planning permission, that's okay. But now in France, there's a lot of cafes with outside seating and they're trying to ban uh, heaters. And Heidi sends me on the uh, link that I think it came, it's, not, it's from the BBC. Uh, it's from... Um, this week from the BBC where in France they are going to ban heated terraces in cafes and bars and if you've ever been to France you will know dining al fresco is really the way to go and obviously on a balmy summer's evening you don't need to have heating but then as you know the spring and the autumn and the winter they use heated terraces and they've got the big uh, heaters that you know you would see in, in some outdoor areas here and in smoking areas you certainly would see them and it seems the French government have announced on it's an environmental measure and it's going to ban heated terraces for cafes and bars and it's all to do with climate warming, warning, warming. Now they do say that the ban will not come into force until after the winter as restaurants have been hard hit by COVID-19 but all heated and air conditioning buildings open to the public are also been told to keep their doors closed to avoid energy uh, wasting. So the French government still very aware while they're battling with COVID-19, very much aware of what's going on with climate and with climate change. And it's something that I've certainly been thinking of with the whole pandemic and I don't know if others have noticed this as well. I mean, we're all trying to do our best with climate change and plastic and single-use plastic and all of that. Is it just me or have other others noticed since the pandemic? There seems to be an awful lot more of single-use plastic uh, coming in. I mean, we certainly have all the issue with the, the gloves that people are wearing. We have the issue with the face masks and littering and, and all of that. And you just sort of worry why we have to deal with the pandemic and absolutely accept we have, we have to deal with the pan- pandemic, but all of the additional plastic that we're pushing into the market, that we have to push into the market, even with the hand sanitizers and all, all of that. It's just, what's that going to do for climate change and climate uh, and warming of the, of the earth that we know we have a problem with already. So it is, that is a big, big concern. 1850 Thank you, by the way, Heidi, for sending on that piece. OK, let me go back to some of your calls and comments and texts coming in on doctors. We're still getting in uh, commentary about doctors and people trying to access their local doctors. John says, uh, it's really terrible listening to people trying to get through to their local GP and the fact that it's still happening. A lady told me recently her daughter paid €40 Euro for a telephone consultation with her GP, we are blessed to have the Newtown surgery in Bantry available to us right through the pandemic. The staff always available to their patients. It's a brilliant service, says John. So it's good to see it isn't every GP practice, it's just some and it's good to see people are wanting to comment and recognise the ones that are doing well. And then Tim says, often it's been said on your programme that the public health nurse can see a problem before it even manifests itself. The nurses are no less valuable than doctors and should be expected, why should they be expected to put themselves in the line of infection? It's just that nurses and the pharmacies, like the brilliant one that you had on earlier, are more practical and have much more common sense. Until recent years, there were so few medical places available to students that cramming for points was very much the order of the day. It was the only way in to the medical colleges. Many of the successful candidates, while they might have been very smart, were really not not very suitable for doctors. The UL course is the best as it takes engineers or people from any other scientific areas who are interested in, in a change and then trains them on to be doctors, says Tim, who also says you often have a good GP who has common sense and evaluates and explains things very well, says Tim, that I'm, assu- I'm assuming you are referring to the wonderful uh, Dr Nick Flynn, who often joins us on the programme, yeah, and he certainly makes a lot of 
uh, common sense and sort of puts it in, in layman's terms uh, as well. And someone, Anna says, my doctor in McCroom is excellent. He's Dr. Shane. <laughs> I know no more about Dr. Shane except he's absolutely brilliant according to uh, Anna. Neve says, and here's more of it now. We are led to believe that the medical sector is under huge pressure because of COVID-19 and the strain they're under. Yet we're hearing the same story being told every day that you can't get an appointment and that all that's available is a telephone consultation. Some doctors will ask you to send in pictures through emails. If this is what is happening every day, how are the surgeries under so much pressure? Uh, That lady who contacted you initially about her mam should have called an ambulance if her doctor couldn't be couldn't take the call that she should have just brought her straight to the hospital I think they were trying to do everything to avoid uh, bringing her to the uh, to the hospital 1850 there is emergency services at the scene of a collision on the N20 on the Mallow side of Char- Charleville and I'm told the traffic has slowed down both uh, ways OK on other issues coming in to us this is on the going back to school and will schools reopen Mags says with builders on annual leave I did actually think of that. You know, when we're talking about the amount of work that is going to have to be done to get the schools up to scratch and that there's something like 75 million is going to be pumped into schools to do additional work that needs to be done and principals now frantically scrambling to try to get local contractors. The builders go on annual leave. Is is it now or have has have the has the builders' holidays already happened? I, I don't know. And I don't know with COVID-19 because so many builders were out of work are they still having you know there used to be a shutdown every year we called the builders holidays they'd be off for two weeks in the summer I don't know because of COVID-19 is that still happening or not but Mags reckons it is uh, so she reckons there's going to be a shortage of builders to do the jobs that will need to be done to get the buildings up to scratch you also then She's talking about the uh, thousand plus teachers that need to be recruited. All of them need to be guard the vetted. That is going to be a problem as well because the guard the vetting, there's already a backlog for applications and the turnaround uh, is anything between three to four days for guard the vetting at the moment without them now being asked to put an extra thousand odd teachers that will need to go in. They will all have to be guard the vetted. Uh, and then Mag says there's also no porter cabins in situ. It is past farcical what was announced uh, this week. And many people I think would agree with you Mags and saying that they left it a little bit too late, that they should have given all of this information uh, to teachers way, way earlier. I think as soon as they knew that the children wouldn't be going back to school any time before June I think then if we were hearing the information we're hearing this week if we could have given the schools June, July and August I think we'd be a lot more confident in all of the schools opening up in September and then Mary says Hi Patricia do you know when will the government decide what's going to happen about school uniforms an issue that was discussed on the programme this year can children wear their own clothes going back to school I don't have a dryer and I'll be honest I can't afford to buy two school uniforms if it has to be washed and dried each day it simply won't be possible I cannot afford uh, to buy a second set says Mary and that was the issue that we heard earlier in the week where it was speculated that one of the guidelines was going to be that children must come into school every day with a clean uniform on that when they come home from school the uniform is to be removed and washed and then have a clean one for the next day now 
I got, we've checked up on what came out on the roadmap to going back to school and all it says about uniforms and it does say we're applicable because not every school wears a uniform. It says the school will have been in touch to let you know about uniforms and where they can be purchased. Primary school uniforms usually have two parts, a uniform that consists of trousers and a pinafore, skirt and jumper and a school tracksuit. Uh, with a t-shirt so that's the that's the as much information as they're giving so it's the, so I I think what they're basically saying is that each school will have their own rules and regulations about around school uniforms I don't know I haven't heard yet of any school who has decided that they're not going to go down the school uniform route yet let me know if your school has decided to do, to do that and what guidance is being given to parents because I'm assuming from that that it's going to be individual schools will decide what the guidance is going to be around school uniforms. So if anybody's heard from their school please let us know 1850 and somebody wants to call out a rip-off or what they see as a perceived rip-off. Patricia I had a dry haircut uh, in a salon yesterday and it's gone up. It was €15 euro before COVID-19. It's gone up to uh, to, to €18, euro, gone up by €3. Euro. I, well, OK, while well, you perceive that as uh, a rip-off, in the hairdressers and barbers' defence, firstly, I'm surprised to hear that you got a dry cut because we were hearing early on that, uh, that a number of hairdressers are refusing to do dry cuts. You have to get your hair uh, washed. All of the hairdressing salons have additional costs. Some have put up prices, some have put them up way more than €3. Euro. I think €3 euro extra when you look at all of the additional work that goes in now to the hairdressing and the hand sanitizers and, and everything. Maybe it's only me. I don't think that's too much to have gone up. Uh, we've heard of, of some places uh, increasing by up to €50 euro pending on what you were get, getting done. And then of course we heard from other hairdressing uh, salons who have decided not to increase um, at all. But it's up to you. I mean if you want to move and go to a different barber or a different uh, hair salon um, you know, shop around, check around, ring around, see if others can you get it for fifteen euro in a different salon. Eighteen fifty three 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 one oh three. The C one oh three Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. The annual Regan Memorial Motorcycle Run at Zaid of Pieta House is going virtual this year. They're asking people to participate on Saturday the 8th of August by posting pictures of you and your motorbike on, on your motorbike ride out to the Regan Memorial Facebook page and then you can donate to the GoFundMe link to raise vital funds for Pieta House. And World Suicide Prevention Day, that's going ahead on Thursday the 10th of September and the Charleville Suicide Awareness Group are asking people to light a candle in remembrance of those who have passed away for their family and friends. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Cork Today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 103 and uh, some more your text still coming in actually still getting reactions still getting texts in uh, about Porrick uh, talking about his life as a full-time carer looking after his little 11-year-old daughter uh, Gobnet. Uh, hi Patricia as a carer and you know well yourself it makes me angry when people say how good we are as carers and what a great job we're doing what are we supposed to do it's our job and we get on with it just like Porrick does day in day out 
24-7, seven days a week. He spoke from the heart and he put it out there as it is. Yes, it can be physically and mentally draining, but nobody will say, do you need a break or can I step in? You just keep going. Yeah, how right you are. Thank you uh, for that. And there was some calls in as well. Maeve in Clam says, what a wonderful man Porig is. Uh, he said in his carer's allowance, it works out at €31 Euro a day. I think €1,000 a day wouldn't justify for the work that he is doing. Well done to him. He is an incredible man. And Mary says, I was getting a carer's allowance and last year I started to get my state pension. Would you believe, says Mary, they cut my carer's allowance by €100 a week. I think it was very unfair because I still have to care for my son and I work very hard and the work continues. It didn't change just because I hit 66 and got the old age pension. Uh, 1850 Just a couple of other different ones in the Everyman Christmas Panto cancelled. Uh, first time it's been cancelled for 30 years. I'd say there will be uh, no Panto going ahead this year, which is a real shame. On the doctor, still getting in calls on that. Margaret says, I can't get a blood test done at my GP practice. I had a stroke six years ago and it's now over 12 months since I've had my blood test done. I meant to get my bloods done every six months, but the doctor has told me I can't have blood tests done, that it's COVID patients first. Uh, I'm afraid that I haven't got the blood test and my blood pressure checked. I'm just so uh, worried. I would get back on to the doctor again. That's just because we are hearing of people, we are hearing of GP practices who certainly are taking a blood test. I mean, if you haven't did a blood test in 12 months and you're meant to have it done every six months, get back onto them again and keep ringing them every day until they find a day when you can go in to get your, your bloods done. I mean, I, I can't say it's COVID patients first. I just, I, I don't understand where, where your GP practice is coming on that one. I certainly would uh, keep knocking on their door until they hear from, from you and uh, get the blood test uh, that you so badly need. On school uniform, somebody is really hoping that they don't go for regular clothes and we don't know if any school has opted to do that or not. Somebody's making the point that school uniforms are actually cheaper than regular clothes and it would cost families a fortune if children were to be going into school in their regular clothes every single day. I can still see questions coming in for Peter. Peter Dowdle not with us this week. He's on a week off. He will be back with us next week but no uh, Peter Dowdle today. And just a, a U-turn from the government. This is on the COVID-19 payments and the people that went over, went on holidays. When they went through the airport, they were discovered that they were on a COVID-19 payment, the unemployment pandemic payment of €350 and they discovered that if they went away on holidays they would lose the payment for that week and then they would have to self-isolate for two weeks when they came home and they wouldn't get the payment for those two weeks uh, either. Now I have to say when we started discussing this during the week we had very little sympathy for people who lost their pandemic payment for going overseas on holidays but it seemed to be very different at government level. The opposition were certainly up in arms and they were accusing the government of picking on people who had lost their job because of COVID-19 and many in the opposition thought it was very unfair that somebody on a COVID-19 payment shouldn't be allowed to go away on holidays and there, you know, there was a, a lot of talk about this in the doll this um, uh, this week. Well, the government decided to do a U- U-turn. There's to be a change to the rules. Anyone who travels to a green listed country won't have their pandemic unemployment payment stopped. People will still lose the payment if they travel to non-green list countries unless it's for essential reasons like health or bereavement and they inform the welfare office first. Will a rev- and there will also be a review of the cases to date 
on uh, people who lost their pandemic uh, pay, payment. So this is certainly going to be the government of U-turns uh, for sure. So if you're on a COVID-19 payment, just to tell you, if you want to travel to one of the green list countries, even though they're not still recommending that we only travel if it's essential. But anyway, you can go to one of the green list countries and you won't lose your payment. That's the latest on that. 1850 And just quickly, some emails to Patricia at c103.ie on the topic of wearing masks due to coronavirus. I was shopping last week and while I myself had a mask on, there was very few people There was a few people that didn't. At the time, I was respecting everyone has a choice to make. But there was one particular lady. Now, this list, Dennis has named the lady. I'm not going to name the lady. Well, the first name, but I won't name it because it's kind of a name that might might be easy identifiable or could be identified as somebody else. Anyway, it's a lady with blonde hair, aged somewhere between 70 and 75. She happened to be in front of me in the supermarket and had quite a bit of shopping. She was back and forth and going against all the COVID arrow signs for boxes, leaving no room at all for social distancing, during which time she coughed. And for the last couple of seconds, while the more than helpful checkout lady put her shopping through the checkout, this customer was sure enough she touched the perspex frame in front of her. Following this incident, I believe wearing a mask in shops should be made mandatory and should be enforced by managers and staff, says uh, uh, Dennis. Uh, 1850-333-103. We're still waiting for the government, by the way, to come back and let us know when is it going to become mandatory? When are they going to start fining people if they're not wearing masks? We're still waiting on that one. We haven't got it in uh, yet. We haven't got the date in yet, but we have emailed and we have asked them and uh, we're waiting on a reply from that. Uh, 1850-333-103. C103. And apologies, we don't have gardening this week, but uh, Peter Dowdle, uh, the uh, irishgardener.com, will be back with us next week answering all of your questions. Now, last March, my next guest, who is an ovarian cancer patient, decided to embark on a three-week fundraising walk from West Cork to Dublin with the aim of raising money for breakthrough cancer research. COVID-19 got in the way of that walk uh, but yesterday Lucy Fahey finally completed her walk and she joins me. She's back home now in uh, Drimmer League. Uh, good, good afternoon to you Lucy. Oh hello, how are you? Uh, how are you feeling today? Yeah I'm good thank you. Uh, I'm, I'm a bit tired but I'm good. <laughs> well done, well done. Okay take me back to March and the start of the walk and just fill us in why you decided to embark on this fundraising journey? Um, well, I think initially it started off as just something that I wanted to do for myself, a bit of an adventure, maybe a bit of an escape. And then as it kind of grew into a plan, I realised it was a good opportunity to make some money for a charity. So that's what I did. And the plan was you'd bring your dogs with you? That's right, yeah. My, my, <laughs> two, my two best friends, Wally and Pirate, um, they accompanied me the whole way. And it wasn't that you were going to stay in like nice hotels and B and B's <laughs> along the way. You know, you weren't. You certainly weren't no. going to make it easy for yourself. <laughs> no, I mean initially I had thought I would stay in a couple of B and B's along the way, but then as things progressed um, with the pandemic and you know everywhere being closed, that kind of went out the window. Um, so, so I just camped, carried my tent with me. Yeah, you bought it. You put a tent up in your back, and off you went. Okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> so um, how far did you get when you started out in March? Uh, so in March, I ended up going um, about two hundred fifty. I think it's two hundred fifty-six kilometres in eleven days. Um, but it got to the point where it just wasn't sustainable anymore. They were about to call lockdown. So I had to come home. So you, so then you you decided you 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 weren't going to be broken by this. You do it again. No, not so, to be beaten by a pandemic. So when <laughs> when did you set off again then? Uh, 
So I did 18 days this time. I can't remember what date that was, but yeah, it was 18 days that I was out. Did you start all over again? No. No, okay. <laughs> no, I went back to the exact spot where I got picked up last time, which was in um, Capawai, Tipperary. And then walked walked from there walked on? from there onwards. Um, and I went up the country to Portumna and then I just turned off along the Shannon and the Grand Canal all the way into Dublin. And where did you pitch your tent every night? Just wherever I could find, mostly in forestry. Um, if it was farmland, I'd just go and approach a farmer and ask if they had a field. Everybody was very accommodating. Um, along the canal, you can camp alongside the canal anywhere. So, yep, just depended where I ended up that evening. Wherever I lay my hat, that's my exactly. home. Kind yeah. of thing. And, <laughs> yeah. and did you feel safe in a tent with your two dogs? I did, yeah. I felt really safe. Um, I guess the point where I started to feel a bit less relaxed about it was coming towards Dublin. So the last, the final night, um, I stayed in the Ibis Hotel there. Okay. Um, just, I didn't fancy in the suburbs of Dublin pitching a tent. With the dogs? With the dogs, yeah. And they were really accommodating. They were really helpful. So that was great. Was it lonely? Um, I talked to the dogs a lot, um, but I did, you know, I came across people along the way and had conversations, people bought me lunches, you know, I met a lot of kindness along the way, you know, regardless of everything that's going on, um, socially distanced kindness. Yeah, but I take it COVID and all of that was very much on your mind and... Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've been in treatment myself for um, cancer, so I have to be a little bit mindful of my own kind of vulnerability but at the same time I think that you still need to live. make life happen yeah so. you, have to, you have to live but yeah. did, did you did you tell your, your doctor your consultants that you were what you were going to do did they? yeah yeah I had to have that conversation but it's fine um, I think they're fairly used to me at this stage right, they didn't advise against it or anything no because no, no. they probably knew it would fall on deaf ears that, that kind, <laughs> yes, that kind of advice and how difficult has treatment been Especially since COVID nineteen, um, it's not changed that much. You know, they've kind of accommodated. Um, things have moved around a bit, and there's been more sort of uh, telephone consultations and things like that. But that's actually fairly beneficial when you live out in West Cork. Um, so you know, they've worked hard. They've made it safe, and it's been as good as it can be. I, I think when you're already in the system, it's been fine. Did you have to go into hospital during lockdown? Yeah, yeah, I was in for... I actually had um, surgery during lockdown. Um, but again, it was, you know, it was all sort of done carefully and and as well as it could be. I didn't experience any problems with that. Yeah, and actually we've heard that from others as well, the people who had, you know, because I think everyone has that fear factor. It's still there. Yeah. Everyone is, you know, terrified yeah. of going into hospital. And really, think- you don't need to be. I think the first time going back, like once I came home and then I knew I had my first appointment coming up, there was definitely fear. Um, but once I'd experienced it and seen how it was, it was fine. There's, you don't need to be. You don't need to be scared. It's probably one of the safer places you could be going to. To be fair. And how is treatment going? Good. Yeah, we'll um, be starting back looking at that now, now that I'm home. So, um, but it's been a nice period of time not thinking about it. <laughs> yeah, you just tried to put. And how, when were yeah. you? When were you diagnosed? Uh, way back in 2008, so it's kind of an ongoing, um, kind of treat it as a chronic condition, really, and just manage it as best we can. You've you've lived with this for a long time, then. Yeah, yeah. 
Okay, well done. Well done. It hasn't <laughs> it hasn't stopped you anyway, uh, for sure. No. And I can hear by your accent, you're not a native of West Cork. I'm not a native. You're one no, of the I'm wonderful a, blowings. <laughs> I'm a blowing, yeah. yeah. I've been in Ireland about eight years now. And where you're originally where in it where in it, where in the UK? Nottingham. Nottingham, okay. And what brought yeah. you to West Cork? Um well initially I lived in County Meath and the family I worked for there had a holiday home down here and we used to come for summers and I just fell in love. So it's once cool. I left that job I made my way down here. It's a great spot. Yeah. <laughs> the lifestyle was the reason, I guess. You and you and your you and your two dogs. Me and my two dogs, yeah. <laughs> what kind of dogs are they? Um, so Wally is a collie Springer cross and Pirate is a Chihuahua. So he made it with his little legs. I was just going to say, did you, did you have to carry the Chihuahua halfway? <laughs> no, 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 no. He walked. Um, there was a couple of occasions of long grass and things like that. But other than that, he walked the whole way. He's pretty fit. He's used to walking a lot. You obviously have the legs walked off the little fella, so he's well <laughs> yeah. used to it. Breakthrough yeah. Cancer Research, obviously very, very close to your heart. Is that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they are. Um, they're a great little charity and they, they support research into the more poor prognosis cancers, um, the ones that don't get as much funding or as much media attention. And so, yeah, that's that's definitely close to my heart. I mean, my cancer would be a poor prognosis cancer and I lost my stepdad to a brain tumour, which was also, um, you know, poor prognosis one. So. Yeah, and particularly ovarian cancer, it's one it's one of the ones we don't talk about enough. And it's, yeah. And yeah. it's, weirdly enough, it's one of the ones we should be talking about because yeah. the symptoms can manifest as so many different things, can't yeah, it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I was um, diagnosed with IBS for a good while before I got my diagnosis. Um, and it's that kind of, those symptoms can be very vague, you know, if you're not looking out for it, then yeah, yeah more I mean, attention brought to the symptoms to get earlier diagnosis. The wonderful Anne Hurley he, in what we often speak with from Charleville and Anne is ovarian cancer yeah. as well and she's always yeah. talking about that and, and just the silent killer and don't ignore the symptoms don't and if, ignore you're, it. if your gut yeah. instinct tells you something keep knocking on the doctor's door until they listen to you. Exactly and I think that you know I think deep down you know your body don't you? And yeah. If you, if you feel something's not right then you keep trying that's what you've got to do. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, well, well done to you. It's been a, a great achievement to walk all the way uh, to Dublin, and and you got to Dublin yesterday because I know when John Paul yeah. you you'd messaged me here and I said to John Paul, will you will you give Lucy a ring? And <laughs> yeah. and he rang you and, and you were heading in the canal at that stage. Yeah, so you literally <laughs> you got made it to Dublin and then just got out of there quick and came home, was it? Yeah, I didn't really want to hang around um, in the city, so my friend drove down from West Cork, collected me. Ah, <laughs> oh, isn't that great? Um, That's, yeah, that is great. And we are. You have a. Have you a GoFundMe link to Breakthrough have, Cancer Research? I have a just giving page. A just um, giving page. Okay, we'll get yeah. John Paul to work on that, and we will get it yeah. up on our and I will share it on our Facebook page okay, uh, as well. You. If people would like to to donate, listen. Yeah, you great. you uh, in, enjoy the rest because you need a bit of a rest Thank after you. that. Yeah, I and uh, <laughs> it was lovely to talk to you. And uh, yeah. thanks a million for joining us. And stay safe. Uh, thank you. Thanks okay. for having me on. Take care. Bye bye. Lucy Fahey there uh, joining us from Adrenaline League. As I say, we will share her GoFundMe page fundraising for Breakthrough Cancer Research. A listener who was complaining that they went for a dry cut and the price had gone up because of COVID-19. It was €15 euro, and when they went for their dry haircut, it, they got charged €18. Euro. Well, that's prompted John in Blackpool to say, Hi Patricia, I got my haircut in the Baldy Barbers. Same price now that they've reopened. I actually gave the girl a fiver for the tip box and I thanked them for coming back to work. <laughs> John in Blackpool. Yeah, I did make that point that shop around because not all hairdressers and barbers have put up their price.
price. Some have and some have no choice, but they had to put up their prices uh, because the cost of doing business with COVID-19 certainly has gone up. OK, that's where we leave it for today. Thanks to Sadie and John Paul for taking your calls. Nick Richards with you for the afternoon. Back with you tomorrow at 10. I'm Patricia Messenger. Good afternoon. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.